Voice Nation. Greetings and pentatonic pontifications, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful and hopefully air-conditioned day. I know I certainly am. I'm convinced that if we all survive this coming week, then we have proof of concept for Get Mars that colonizing planets closer to the sun is within the realm of the possible. Chilling out with me here in the Device Nation studio are my two cats, Hattie and Penny. Little SpongeBob nod there. Say hello, guys. Yeah, I'm a cat guy. Judge me. Well, Hattie showed up in our life in the parking lot of the gym one day, about three weeks old, covered in burns and meowing at the top of her little lungs as she followed my wife to the car. When does that ever happen? We took her in, and she has been an amazing addition to the family. Penny, on the other hand, was a rescue from a bad owner situation. All the other animals wouldn't let her play reindeer games, so it took a while to win her trust, but she now is that cat who not only wants to lay on your lap, but on your face. Well, I'm convinced there's three types of cats. The cat that knows they're a cat, the cat that doesn't know they're a cat, thinks they're human or a dog or something, and then there's Penny, the cat that just doesn't know anything. She just goes absolutely spastic sometimes, takes off running full tilt for no reason, jumps on things that are destined just to fall on top of her, sometimes just runs into a wall, a move that has clearly taken many points off her SAT. What she lacks in knowledge, though, she certainly makes up for in affection. One thing my wife and I have quite the affection for is hiking in the mountains. That's why we moved to the Gulf Coast of Alabama. I know it sounds crazy, but there is a mountain bike trail here that if I blindfolded you, put you in a white nondescript panel van, yeah, I like criminal shows, and dropped you off at the head of this trail, you would swear you were in northern Alabama. So my wife and I were out hiking this very trail this morning. I literally came within an inch of running headfirst, not into a wall, Penny, but into a huge web created by none other than a banana spider. What's a banana spider? It's a nephila, a golden silk orb weaver. It's a big freaking spider. I was looking down, pondering guitar scales of all things, and for some reason looked up at the last second face to face with the author and creator of said web, an arthropod of epic proportions. The only thing worse, by the way, than a cat on your face is a big freaking spider. Well, speaking of guitar scales, and I know many of you are still stuck at my greeting, why the pentatonic pontificate? Notifications, Kevin. Well, long-time listeners know of my obsession with electric guitar. I went out and got my first guitar lesson in 45 years. Crazy, right? The other day from Caleb, just an amazing young man, an amazing player with even more amazing hair. I suggested some sort of locks of love arrangement between us. Denied. You know, today's musicians have YouTube, the amazing Slower Downer, Jam Track, so many tools for improvement. I, on the other hand, being completely self-taught, started with a Ted Nugent album and a guitar and guitar amp from Sears. Yes, they actually sold musical equipment. That 100-watt Silvertone tube amp of theirs is quite the collectible. I have two of them, but I digress. Teaching yourself with nothing more than an album and an ear is fine, but at some point you will hit the wall as your teacher. You are invariably limited to your scope of experience, right? So over the course of an hour, Caleb showed me some scales to work on that I knew nothing about, worked me through the mystery of the circle of fists, the Nashville numbering system, and a few shampoo and conditioner tips. No, not really. I walked out of there completely encouraged and inspired, kind of like a musical ride-along. Well, when I started this job forever ago, I had a manager riding along with me for nearly a year. I had to do call reports. You ever have to do those? There was a veritable umbilical cord between me and Chuck for 12 whole months, always in the OR with me, constantly giving me feedback, good and bad. Why? Because the new boot always steps in something. And in this business, that can be catastrophic, right? So I look back on that, so thankful that I had that constant ride-along going on to get me off to a good start, keep me out of trouble, and not do anything that would end up costing the distributorship a customer. Well, fast forward to 2022. Today's reps are essentially learning how to do this job with a Ted Nugent album and a Sears guitar, basically. There's training for the technical aspects of everybody's product, but what about the other 75% of this job? Where is that ride-along, so to speak, that hands-on mentoring in a career that is changing before our very eyes? 
So let's connect all these things we just shared. I love this quote from David Huddle. Everything is connected to everything else and nothing is without consequence. Indeed, we are in a place in history right now where much like my wonderful cat Penny, we don't know anything. (laughs) I don't know anything. Why? Because we've never been here before and what got us here will not take us there. I'm going to say that again. What got us here will not take us there. A distressed young rep reached out to me the other day saying basically the ever increasing size team he's on is basically turning what started out as a commission job for him into a salary position because any incremental business invariably results in hiring more reps that have to be paid. Change is underway and we're not going to be able to teach ourselves through it. I know I won't be able to as it's all new and uncharted. So we need to surround ourselves with, here we go, metaphorical, a lot of Caleb's, right? Able and proficient players as we walk down this trail together. A trail that I believe demands looking up and not down. Why? There just may be a banana spider along this path and we need a lot of Caleb's in our life to help us spot them. And sometimes really the only time you see that web is when it's all tangled up in your hair and you're going crazy. Ask me how I know this fact. This is easy advice for the young listener. But to the seasoned veterans, look, I know you're a great guitarist. You're quite the player already. You may think you don't need a Caleb in your life. You need a Caleb now more than ever. The overtaker rep says, quote, I don't know and I need help if I'm going to thrive over what the next five years brings to our business model, unquote. We are running a BOGO on this very subject today on Device Nation, the voice of operative orthopedics, kicking off a quick visit with Dr. Michael Ast of HSS, the voice of the business of medicine. And then we're going to follow that up with a conversation with Dr. Richard Yoon, orthopedic surgeon and director of orthopedic research in the Division of Orthopedic Trauma and Adult Reconstruction, at Jersey City Medical Center. A man with such a heart for his patients and such a heart for reps. You heard that right. You and me. You're definitely going to want to hang around for that. Well, it's such an honor and a privilege to welcome back to the show Dr. Michael Ast, orthopedic surgeon and chief medical innovation officer at HSS. He has such a heart for the box openers among us as well. If you did not hear his original interview on Device Nation, I will attach a link. It's a must listen to. And he has a very exciting announcement for the Device Nation listening audience. So thankful to have you back on the show, sir. Thank you so much, Kevin. Really excited to be back, and I appreciate the opportunity, as always. Last time we talked, sir, the business of medicine was front and center. That feels like 10,000 years ago. Where are we now in June of 2022? Well, luckily, all the problems are over. Everything is fine. Awesome. We're all... We're all back to Shangri-La, and there's literally nothing to be worried about at all, anywhere, ever. Finally, utopia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's amazing. We're watching, we're watching the evolution of this concept of the business of medicine only become more and more important every day. If you look today at what's going on in the economy, everything about what's happening around us mirrors the challenges that we're having in healthcare with more work to do less money to do it with, and no one exactly sure where the economics are coming from. So, you know, we had that, we had that last talk. And again, it really does feel like it was, you know, 10 years ago, even though it was just under a year ago, everything we talked about seems to continue to become more and more important every day. My brain is always connecting dots. It's very distracting sometimes. And it happened (laughs) during a great ASC presentation you did recently with Dr. Kirschenbaum. I will put a link in the show notes for it. I think everybody should take a listen. It really jumped out at me, again, regarding ASCs. They're no longer a trend to watch is what I believe you said. It's a trend that's underway. And as reps, I know we've been talking for some time about trends to watch in our world, larger teams, less field inventory, more cost shifting. I mean, most reps now have to buy their own brochures, lower commissions, declining ASP, trends that are now officially underway. Right. And, you know, the, the other trend that's underway, and, and again, it really does go to the shift in the relationship a little bit um, between between reps and, and their surgeon partners, um, is that there is a different relationship between a vendor partner and a surgeon at the hospital and a vendor partner and a surgeon at the surgery center. Because at the surgery center, the surgeon is not just the surgeon, they're also the owner. 
right? And that it really puts a very different spin on it. And in my eyes, there's sort of two ways to look at it. You can look at it negatively, which some people do. And they say, oh, now we're not going to, the relationship won't mean as much or anything else. But I actually think it's the total opposite. What it shows you now is now your rep who has been super valuable to you as a surgeon in terms of your cases and making sure things are good now is an even stronger partner because their knowledge of the business world and their their access to lots of different other people outside of a surgeon's network can really help surgeons identify opportunities to improve what's going on up at their surgery center. And as a rep, you get to bring even more value. You know, you you joke and and you know, you, I think it's even your title on link on LinkedIn that you're a box opener, right? <laughs> right. So you were so much more than a box opener when the surgeon rep relationship changes in the fact that the surgeon is the owner of the center as well. And the rep brings value beyond just this surgical case, but a lot more to the entire episode of care that's involved in transitioning these bigger cases to surgery centers. To that exact point, Dr. Ass, I was watching Stranger Things the other day, the newest season, and the the whole idea of the upside down, there we are, connecting more dots, as reps are walking very <laughs> similar paths as the surgeon and our facilities. It's kind of a parallel universe, becoming that value partner to help our physicians and facilities, as well as ourselves, coming up with creative ways to offset these declines, right? It really is a parallel world. Like we, all we all recognize now. And again, back to that, the shift is underway. We recognize now we are not living in the world we lived in 10 years ago. We can't continue to think we can run our businesses, our practices, our surgeries the way we did it. And whether that has to do with technology, whether that has to do with site of service, whether it just simply has to do with the value any one of us brings to the patient at any given time, we've got to evolve, right? We just have to keep evolving with the shifting landscape of healthcare. Let's talk about these trends that are underway for a second, Dr. Ass. Some people see these trends. The undertaker rep sees them as uh, one more reason to drive their car off a bridge. The uh, the caretaker rep sees them as, well, I'm just going to have to work harder. I, I think an overtaker mindset amidst these changes, I see an opportunity in disguise, and, and I just wanted to run that by you. What do you think? Totally. Right. There's, you know, there's all, there's all these different quotes you say, like, never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. Um, or, you know, one, right. Every, every single time you have a situation like this, where the world around you seems to be changing and you're, it's sort of happening to you and not with you, you can always look at it in those ways, right? Oh my gosh, the world is ending. I, I, this is over. Or you say, well, what is my opportunity here? Where is this going to give me a new opportunity to do something even better? And I think if you take a step back, and you and I had this conversation last time, if you take a step back and the business of medicine, the business of what we do is very important to what we do. But if you take a step back and and remember the central focus of every single thing we do is the patient on the table, all of a sudden you say, wait, look at all the stuff changing around me. It's also changing the experience of the patient. Where are those opportunities where I can now have a different role, a new role, a better partnership relationship with whomever it is, the purchasing people, the hospital, the surgeon, so that I can help continue to improve that patient journey. You know, I quote Boxer on Animal Farm all the time when he famously said, I will work harder on Animal Farm, but that's not really a strategy when reps, surgeons, we're already working all the time, right? Well, no, it's actually, I think that, I think we've started a petition now. We're going to make uh, 29 hours in each day. So that's really going to help. Um, I don't know if it'll go through or not, but I think it's worth a try. Uh, it's exactly right. There, to, at a certain point, you simply can't work harder. And it's actually, I think one of the reasons, you know, one of the many, many, many reasons for some of the, the shifts we're seeing, especially in the elective surgery side is at a certain point, how many widgets can you really make? Can a surgeon do more than a thousand joint replacements a year? I mean, can anybody do, can anybody even do that except for the handful of super special people who can actually make that happen, right? So then, how else can we do stuff better, right? How many how many lines can a rep carry before all of a sudden all they're doing is driving back and forth between offices and trying to figure out which case needs this thing, right? There, there's better ways to do it, and I think. It's gonna. It leads back to the concept of every person there. Their responsibility is to add value to the patient journey. Instead of working harder, like everyone always jokes, you need to work smarter. 
But what we really haven't figured out, and I think what all of us together are going to figure out in the next couple of years is what does smarter really mean? Smarter isn't selling something more expensive, right? We've seen that because sometimes that happens. Right? Well, maybe I'll just charge more money for what I do. That works for like 10 minutes, but then ASPs fall, volume falls, reimbursement falls, something else happens, right? It's, just, it's not a very good long-term plan. So I think as more of us understand the system, more of us understand the journey of the patient from start to finish, we're going to find opportunities to truly add value. And that will be how we work smarter. Well, doctor, the registration link for the Society for Medical Representative Advancement went live the other day. And I am so honored to have you as part of an organization that revolves around one thing, the thing that you just brought up, doing things better and smarter in a business climate that certainly feels like the upside down. I know listeners can easily get their arms around reps coming alongside reps to help them out. But one of the big differentiators in this project is surgeons working with us. Why surgeons? I'm super, super excited to see this go live. Obviously, this is something you and I talked about for a long time before before we launched it. I think the answer is, if you really want to do healthcare correctly, it's got to be a partnership, right? You can't look at it as a zero-sum game. And you can't look at it as, I do my thing, they do their thing, and someone else does someone else's thing. And think that this is going to be a successful way to truly bring value to to healthcare. I've always thought, and many people have, I don't think I'm, this is a unique thing for me, the stronger the relationship and partnership we can have between all of the stakeholders in healthcare. And, and fascinatingly, the more we understand each other's worlds, the more that I understand all of the logistics and all of the work behind the scenes that my rep partners do, the more our reps and our vendor partners and their employers and distributors and companies understand the life of a surgeon and how things go throughout the day. And the more we all understand what does the healthcare environment really look like from a big picture, the more we do that, the more opportunities we get to find value, right? The more opportunities. And if we try to do this all in silos, which is great when the world is plentiful, but when we try to do this all in silos, we likely miss very big opportunities. So I'm super, super excited for this because this is a real tangible change, shift that I'm hoping for that you've spoken about, where we, instead of all being barbarians at the gate fighting for the, that's my dollar, that's your dollar, we come together learn from each other and really figure out where the opportunities are to, again, enhance that patient journey and improve the entire landscape of healthcare. No zero-sum thinking here, sir. We've got an incredible surgeon faculty, a rep faculty panel, passionate about the success of their peers. Our inaugural meeting is the night of October 7th and then Saturday up until around 4.30 p.m. And we've got an amazing keynote address, don't we? Oh, man. I, you know, you talk about swinging for the fences on your first meeting. You say, well, let's see, what would be the craziest thing we could do? Let's <laughs> right. find arguably the most famous knee replacement surgeon potentially in history, right? You take right. You, John, <laughs> d d name the top five. This name's going to come up every time. Oh, and by the way, it turns out he's got family in the industry. And let's say, oh, this sounds good. Let's call Bob Booth. We've never done a meeting before. We don't actually have anything set up yet, but let's get them on board because that sounds like a fantastic idea. And uh, and I actually, I can't be more excited. I've known Bob for a long, long time. Um, he's been a, a, a friend, colleague, uh, somewhat of a mentor over the years. Um, and so I, I just, talk, like I said, talk about swinging for the fences. This is like standing in Fenway aiming only over the green monster. Like that's, <laughs> that's all we're doing. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. And I said, you know, I am so excited. I have heard him speak on the the topic of joint replacement my whole life. But to hear him come up with a message directed at industry and the rep side of this, I cannot wait to hear what he's got to share with our audience. I know it's going to be amazing. And anyone who's ever heard him speak anywhere, he's so eloquent he is so intelligent. He is so knowledge, like knowledgeable and versed across a lot of different things, not just on knee replacements, not just this. And of course, his involvement in industry for the last 30 plus years, he, nobody knows the business better. I, I, this is going to be really, really amazing. And if anyone's listening has never heard Bob Booth speak, find it, look it up. He really, truly is 
all, just one of the best. Well, Dr. Ast, SMRA is all about providing vendor agnostic value for medical representatives vis-a-vis strategic and personalized engagement with our surgeon partners. That's a slogan for you. No modules at SMRA. Do surgeons have to do compliance modules, by the way? Oh, gosh, we do. And, you know, the, the worst part of it, and this is probably the same thing that you run into all the time here, talking about parallel universes, many of us have credentials at multiple hospitals So you have to do the same one for each hospital separately. So my first practice, I worked at five different hospitals. Imagine doing modules, the same module, the same, you know, uh, sterility and infection control and all these things for hospital A, hospital B, hospital C, hospital D. You're like, come on, this is just out of control. And and even where I am now, right, even at HSS, we've got modules for HSS plus modules for uh, Cornell Medical Center, which the buildings are attached to each other. But we do the same thing twice. It is, I'm, and I know, having talked to you about this before, it is, it's no different on your end. Well, that was my only non-negotiable with SMRA. No modules. No modules. There's a lot of exciting and relevant topics on the itinerary Friday night and Saturday. Anything in particular you're excited to talk to us about in Charlotte? Uh, I got to tell you, you know, this is going to sound crazy. I'm more excited to learn than to talk. I just I think every time you go to these types of events, and especially when it's something like this, something new, something very different, something that is a, a partnership that potentially hasn't existed this strongly in the past, uh, you learn so much. You learn from the interactions, you learn from the one-on-one conversations on the side, but then you sit and you listen to a rep, somebody maybe you've never had a chance to hear them speak in this type of form before, and you just learn. So more than anything, like probably like everyone else who's going to be there, I'm really excited to learn. I could not have tied this conversation up better because I'm in the same position. I'm there to learn. We've never been here before in the history of medical device and what's going on in your world, what's going on in our facilities world. In some ways, it feels like we're constructing a plane in midair. <laughs> Collectively, we're going to find the answer that works. The army of one, the legacy thinking that's been part of our industry side, I think that needs to go to the ash heap for those who really want to grab the opportunity that's in front of us all. And if you're ever going to pick a group of people to build an airplane in the air, make it people involved in orthopedics. We'll be fine. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) Dr. Ass, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to see you. And this is just an amazing group of people collected for one purpose, the care and feeding of reps. I can't wait. Again, I'm really excited, really, really honored to have the opportunity to continue to work with you and your amazing team. And and everyone out there, right? This is done with the goal of making the world, the world of healthcare, the world of healthcare specifically for now in orthopedics, a better place so that our patients have a better experience, a better opportunity. And we have a healthcare system that we can continue for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. So I'm super, super excited. I really appreciate you having me back on, you allowing me to be part of this journey with you. And I just, I just can't wait for, for the first meeting. Huge thank you, Dr. Michael Ast, for coming on Device Nation again to share those inspiring words with us. He is such a visionary, has such a heart for others. What an honor to have him as such an integral part of the Society for Medical Representative Advancement and part of this historic meeting in October in Charlotte, North Carolina. You know, I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am just a learning opportunity getting together with you, the best of the best, along with our amazing faculty panel, hearing what you all have to say as we figure this thing out together. Back to the guitar. Any excuse to keep playing. No matter how long you've been playing, this is not the time to keep teaching yourself. Nope, this is the time for a lesson. Not a lesson in the traditional sense, right? But knowledge gained as a result of all of us just getting together for a common purpose. And he spoke to that purpose, serving the patient and providing maximum value to our supply chain and surgeon stakeholders. We are only going to figure this out together. So go to medrepsociety.com and sign up today as seats are limited. You're going to get to meet and ride along with Dr. Michael Ast and Dr. Bob Booth, as well as the president of AUKUS, Dr. Brian Springer, Dr. Ryan Nunley, Dr. AJ Rush. We did not forget spine, Dr. Michael Bolanese, Dr. Brian Culp, a special guest appearance and social media spectacular with our very own Dr. Matt Barber and Johnny Cafaro. And our next guest, rising star, Dr. Richard Yoon, AOA Emerging Leader and AO Trauma Davos Fellow. A super exciting part two to our buy one, get one today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Yoon. Kevin, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. 
Dr. Yoon, I've been so looking forward to our conversation for some time. I can't wait to ask you about Gumdo teaching AOA, SMRA, metallocyclic peptides. But first, let's look at growing up in the Yoon household. What put you on the path to medicine, sir? Much like a lot of the immigrant families in, in the United States, I'm not that much different. So growing up in my house, it was I had to go into a field that was stable, right? Things that would always have jobs. So the options were medicine, engineering, or being a lawyer. And uh, I was drawn to medicine. How early was that? I mean, was that like from five years old on or did that was that something later in life? Uh, my mom said I said it for a first time when I was nine. <laughs> Wow. Well, hang on, but no one believes anything, so anything the kids say. So I'm just glad I, I kind of followed through. That would lead you eventually to a Bachelor of Science degree from one of the Little Ivies, Trinity College in Connecticut. I, I don't know what it is about that school, Dr. Hume, but it seems like a lot of eventual orthopedic surgeons go there for some reason. Well, it's funny. I had a great time at Trinity. Uh, I would not take away my experience for anything. Um, I really like the small school feel. Uh, that was there. We only had about 2,000 students. So, you know, that was something I was specifically drawn to. And, you know, actually one of the major reasons I went there was uh, I got a full scholarship. Um, so uh, having a scholarship there certainly saved me and my family a lot of money. And uh, the way they're set up there, it's kind of nice. They, they, you know, they don't really have a true pre-med track, but the way they structure the curriculum, it really prepares a lot of us for uh, getting into med school. So, I don't know. I don't know if there is, but you know, I'm really. I feel really fortunate that I did attend there. Did you know before you even went to med school that orthopedics was going to be your gig? Uh, yes and no. So I actually did not get into med school the first time. Uh, you know, it was a devastating moment in my my young life and my young career. You know, I I still remember the day I pulled seven rejection letters out of my college mailbox. And I went to go see uh, my advisor, who still to this day I think about a lot. Uh, she eventually passed shortly after I graduated college, but um, she essentially sat me down and she looked at me, and you know I was crying. I was like, "What am I going to do?" She looked at me. She's like, "Well, either you either decide you want to do this or you don't. And if you do, then you got to figure out what your next step is." So at that point, I reached out to a bunch of a Trinity alumni, like you said, a lot of them are orthopedic surgeons. Uh, one of them was uh, Bill McCauley, who at the time was chief of adult reconstruction at Columbia. He gave me a shot as a kid out of college because his research coordinator was leaving. I started there and I mean, the rest is history. When, when I saw my first total hip patient get better, she essentially told him, she said, I thought you were a liar. And he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, you know, you told me I'd be able to play with my grandkids again. And I didn't, I didn't believe you. And now I do. And that was kind of from, from the moment from when I was hooked for ortho. Well, that was pretty strong work, Doctor. Failing forward of going from that to chief resident at NYU Hospital for Joint Diseases. What was your experience like? There any uh, any mentors along the way that that come to mind? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I still think that's the the best program in the country. I think I thought I was lucky enough to get in there, uh, and you know, at the time it was still number one, and I, I still think it's up there now. And, you know, I think the culture there starts from the top down. You know, Dr. Joe Zuckerman, he, he's a force. He's been a force in orthopedics for a long time. Um, and a lot of the faculty follow follow his example, and so their residents. Uh, my biggest mentor along the way was, uh, you know, Frank Liparachi, who is now uh, my chairman and my boss over at Robert Wood. Like I said, from the moment I didn't get in, you know, I, I told myself that, well, there's a lot of people smarter than me. No one will ever outwork me, so... Uh, I try and stay that mentality now. That was quite an honor along that journey, receiving the Davos Fellowship Award. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, that, that was a really cool experience. Uh, it was during my fellowship in Orlando. You know, normally they take they take trauma surgeons who have uh, already started practice. Fellows were encouraged to apply, so I applied during my fellowship year. Uh, I was lucky enough to get it, and you know, it was one of my it was my first time in Switzerland, uh, which was amazing. It really puts into perspective what the Swiss countryside looks like, and it really does look like the sound of music. And it it was a really cool experience just to be around international folks, uh, just to, be, to learn uh, what people do with resources or limited resources from around the world, uh, and the level of education and teaching that goes on. It, it was certainly a unique experience. And I was I was lucky to participate. Well, thank you for that segue to Orlando, sir. Your fellowship in orthopedic traumatology and complex adult reconstruction. That had to be a great experience there. Oh, yeah. I mean, best year of my life, including the fact that I got married September 3rd of that year. 
which is uh, attributed to, you know, that being the best year of my life. You know, one of the reasons why at the time it was only two, but now three fellowships that combine ortho trauma and reconstruction in one year. You know, the other two are ones in Minnesota and now the other place is our fellowship in, in New Jersey which does a combo trauma joints experience. But yeah, you know, 1,052 cases later, it was really, really just a fantastic year. (laughs) Nothing much more to say. Well, I got to ask you about that just for a second. I do not run into a lot of orthopedic surgeons that have that dual major, so to speak, that really are passionate about both of those. Usually it's one or the other. What inspired you? What drew you in? Well, you know, I I always uh, loved my experience in total joints ever since the UN. I was a research fellow at Columbia before med school. And it's something that I always wanted to continue as my elective practice when, when I st- started becoming attending. And really, you know, what it came down to it, I was looking at places where I can get a comprehensive experience in both without having to do a second fellowship. I grew up with not a lot. So and I'm the oldest son. So taking another year off for training was, you know, less than ideal money wise. I was lucky enough to get one of these coveted spots. And it's just something that I knew that from my mentor, Frank Liparachi, that if I want to take care of everything from start to finish, you need to train and see as much of the complex stuff as you can. And I certainly got that when I was in Orlando. Well, speaking of coveted spots, uh, you would be part of the AOA Resident Leadership Forum and then on to being tapped into their Emerging Leaders Program. Congratulations on that, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, again, stuff that I, I didn't really expect, but I guess as a as a result of the the work I put in NYU, put my name in the hat and or put me in to represent their program. And now as alumni there, soon I should be hopefully getting to be a fellow of the AOA, uh, which should be probably next year or the year after. So just, you know, plugging away and trying to do the best I can. Well, doctor, I've heard it said over the years, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So apparently that perfect Orlando weather and all those entertainment opportunities finally just took its toll on you. <laughs> there you are. Going back up north, orthopedic trauma and reconstruction specialist at RWJ, Barnabas Health in Jersey City, New Jersey. What's your practice look like these days? Yeah, so, you know, this is home for me. I'm going back home to Jersey, so that certainly was was part of the plan. Uh, joining my former mentor, Frank, was, was also part of the plan and looking there. I run the fellowship program here as well as the orthopedic research. But clinically, we operate at two hospitals. One's our trauma, trauma hospital in Jersey City. The other one's kind of a, a bigger community flagship in, in Livingston, affectionately known as Cooperman Barnabas uh, Medical Center. And really between the two hospitals, you know, I, I do about 60% trauma, 40% joints. Of the adult recon I do, probably most of it is, you know, complex primaries or revisions and infections. I'm looking to, looking to do as much as I can while I'm young and, uh, you know, get as, get as much experience under my wing as possible. Of all the procedures you do, and you do a lot of different things, if you're on a deserted island and you could only do one, what would you do? I can only do one, honestly. I'd probably do DA hips all day. DA total hips. It's funny, when I was training, it was on the upswing. Some folks were doing it, but some of them weren't. And uh, I really saw the benefit of it. So, I, you know, I really paid attention. And uh, those are some of my happiest patients, right? So that's that's probably my favorite procedure to do if you only if I only had to pick one. I was checking out your website, richardyoonmd.com. A veritable cornucopia of orthopedic procedures listed for you on your site. Shoulder, elbow, elbow, trauma, hip, knee, so much more. And on top of that, you've composed uh, quite a voluminous body of work on the teaching and research side in a relatively short period of time. Uh, what's your why on Well, you know, I think it, it all stems from back when I started research. I mean, way back in 2005. So really, even though I've been in practice for uh, this is probably my sixth year now, like this past year, this is my 17th academy. So I've been presenting in, uh, on the podium since, you know, for almost two decades now. So I, I really feel like, uh, you know, one of those gray haired guys that's been doing this been a, and been around for, for a long time. And really what it comes down to it is, you know, as I was training and as I was coming up, I really became an, uh, an orthopedic nerd. I like to understand the evolution of thought processes that kind of got us to where we are today. So, you know, understanding what Dr. Charnley went through in terms of designing his hip, you know, even Nas Aftercar having his condylar knee, you know, the iterations of the sliding hip screws from, you know, Richards, now Smith and Nephew, you know, going on from the first generation Kunstner nails that were used in World War II, you know, looking through the evolution of what Dr. Sanders did with Smith and Nephew and his nails and kind of where we are now. I've always tried to understand the history and appreciate it. And then backing that up with research, I've always had a passion to teach, but 
the researchers helped me not only get better as a teacher, but also get more involved with design, you know, consultancy and things like that. So I really wanted to be a five-tool player, so to speak. What makes a good teacher in your mind? At very baseline, someone who cares, cares about their mentee and whoever they're teaching, right? For me, it, what excites me most about that is getting folks to get to their level of potential. And then eventually after a certain period of time, you know, you kind of watch them grow up, so to speak, and watching someone evolve some, some someone who barely knows how to hold a knife to know how to do a complex surgery is, is, uh, is more rewarding than anything. So I think it, it, selfishly, I think it, it gives me a lot of drive uh, to kind of always not only take the best care of my patients for me, but also to, to lead by example. So, you know, teaching to me is probably what gives me the most satisfaction out of my job. As stressful as it is, it always kind of grounds me. So that's why I love it. Me as well, sir. You know, I was looking at your title on LinkedIn, Director of Orthopedic Research at Jersey City Medical Center. And I, I believe you're working a similar vein for AUKUS as well. Um, I'm trying. Uh, you know, I'm still relatively junior in, in the uh, the uh, societal world. So, you know, I, I certainly am a full AUKUS member. I'm on the research committee. Uh, I volunteered to uh, review the abstracts for the upcoming meeting in November. So, you know, I'm certainly volunteering my time because I, I think that the members of AUKUS are a, a great bunch of surgeons, men and women. And I just want to learn from them and, and, and help them kind of build upon the great society that it is. And similarly for OTA, you know, I really love the OTA and the folks that are in it. And, you know, I, I really just want to pay it forward, too, because... Obviously, when I was coming up as a resident, uh, a lot of folks took care of me. So I want to I want to have the same opportunity to to help people that are coming up along the way. Well, one thing you certainly built upon, Doctor, is my vocabulary when I saw the word metallocyclic peptides in one of your research papers. I, I've got to ask, my nerd side is kicking in here. What is that? What was that paper? So it's funny you ask. You know, uh, we're, everyone's recommended to do research before you apply to med school. So you know, I spent probably two and a half years in in undergrad in. Uh, um, organic chemistry lab. And that was my, what my senior thesis on. Metallocyclic peptides are basically the baby for my mentor at the time. He was a, if I'm not mistaken, if I don't, if I remember correctly, he was also on that genius level. Not, I'm not saying for me, but you know, for people smarter than me, he was like MIT, Harvard kind of guy. And this stuff that he was synthesizing, we would we would kind of do run experiments to run these in a high yield because what we were thinking of doing was, you know, mimicking protein models as kind of drug models. So, you know, two and a half years of work. Right. Actually, my two, my two poster presentations, my paper came out of two and a half weeks in the lab of being hot. And the rest of the time was, was <laughs> failure after failure and experiment. So, you know, it's funny. That's when I knew I, I didn't, I couldn't do a PhD because I couldn't, I couldn't handle being in a lab that much, but it further solidified what I wanted to do in medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about two words that are much easier to pronounce, metal and plastic. You're certified on Velis Cori Ameco. Tell me you like technology, Dr. Yoon, without telling me you like technology. I think that one of the things that about orthopedics is very cool as we're moving forward is the incorporation of technology to get us better as surgeons. Now, I, I think that we spoke about this even as residents 10 years ago, that even though all the studies show that there's no difference, uh, we always knew that robotics wasn't going to go away and technology wasn't going to go away. So it's really about really understanding, you know, how we can utilize technology in a cost-effective manner to get us better as surgeons, but also using the data to analyze our patients to see what ideals might be, especially in a total knee world. So that's where kind of I like robotics because the, the the data that it provides us, because, you know, we know in total knees, they're not really perfect yet. We're pretty good at them, but the outcomes certainly aren't as reliable as total hips. So I think that that's just going to help us kind of fine tune uh, how to perform total knee better for that, you know, last percentage of patients that aren't feeling uh, 100%. You see anything on the horizon that you believe will supplant robotic technology, sir? Um, I don't know about supplanting robotics, but certainly getting away from preoperative imaging. I think all the companies are getting towards not requiring CT scan beforehand. I think that artificial intelligence is going to play a big role in how we use that, you know, machine learning in terms of how to get more efficient how to decrease trays and everything like that. I think that'll help us kind of be, be more cost-effective and efficient in the OR as well. The final kind of uh, frontier in our aspect of what we do is what do implants do to bone? How does bone react? And at the same time, how are we getting better at managing the soft tissues around 
uh, what we do too. So I think that's where technology is going to help us the most in kind of further refining how to optimize our surgeries even better than we do them now. What cases are you currently using robots for? Right now, mainly for uh, unis. I probably don't do as many as, as my solo joint replacement friends around the country. So I probably do around maybe like 25 a year or so. When I was a resident, we didn't do a lot of unis. So I rely on the robotics to make sure that I'm getting it pre- as precise as possible. So that's really what I use it for mainly. We got quite the circle of life on the total knee side with cementless implants becoming in vogue again. Uh, any thoughts on some of these all porous unis sneaking into the arena? You think it's exciting or leave well enough alone? I'm very conservative and I like seeing data in long term and we all know where we started with cementless and you know it's just like when even uni started right you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. you come around and you kind of get it better so i probably won't be one of the first to jump into the foray of cementless unis but you know even with cementless totals i probably booked my first one for this summer and that's only after a bunch of friends of mine kind of convinced me with specifics, especially after the uh, recent results from the AJRR. So, I th- you know, I'm a database guy. So until the evidence comes out, I probably won't be putting much cementless in and relying on more cemented models. A lot of trauma on your CV, sir. Any cool gadgets in that world that has your attention right now? The newer generation nails that are coming out are especially an upgrade. A lot of fixed angle options that, that allow us to kind of get more reliable rigid fixation in femur, tibia, humerus in general. You know, there are a couple of exciting new products that I think are, are very, very cool. You know, Synthes has a new periprosthetic fracture system that I think is super, super slick, very modular. A lot of hole options, a lot of cable options, a lot of locking screw options that, that, that you can take care of everything. Arthrex fiber tape surclage is, is kind of a cool alternative to cables. I use it a lot in my uh, proximal humerus fractures when I do reverse total shoulder orthoplasty. Orthogrid, that is a essentially a standalone attachment to your fluoroscopy that has AI built into it. You know, uh, using that for DA hips is like incredible and they're getting more and more into the trauma world. So I'm looking forward to kind of trialing that and see how. I think that can get us better for that, but a very exciting time in orthopedics right now with everything going on. The first time I saw OrthoGrid, I had a surgeon that used that. It was like taking the red pill. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, this is how life could be. It's just amazing technology. You were a co-author of a poster that caught my eye. I am nail versus lock plate fixation and the treatment of distal femoral periprosthetic fractures is one better than the other. I was just curious. What was your conclusion? This is a systematic review. We looked at all the literature out there. We were looking at overall heel rates. And really, there, there is no difference. You know, you get 90% plus union rates. But when it comes to plating, there is, you know, a small subset of papers that show that you can have higher non-union rates. You know, some papers showing up to like 20, 25%. And the femur in general and the distal femur is something that, you know, Frank and I have been studying for a long time now. Um, so it's something that we really wanted to look at in depth. Um, and really, there's no difference there, but th- this is the precursor to us writing about the nail plate combination technique, uh, which is getting really, really hot right now in the trauma as well as the uh, arthroplasty world. You know, looking at linking the implants and having a more reliable union rate, actually, I'm actually currently working on our revisions. We should be publishing our multi-center series in Journal of Orthopedic Trauma. Hopefully this fall or something will come out, but I, I got to get those edits in. But that that's kind of just a evolution of us studying fractures in the femur in general, uh, especially periprosthetics is something that, that is near and dear to our heart. We're both combo, you know, trauma arthroplasty guys. So that's something that, uh, you know, it's one study in a long line of stuff that, that we are uh, nerding out about, trying to learn more about. I've been nerding out about trying to figure out how you can definitively attach a nail to an existing femoral component to make a one piece out of it. I ran out of napkins, doctor. I cannot figure out how to make that. It wouldn't matter. The FDA wouldn't let you do it anyway. There are several patents on that. And they won't even let us put a hole in a femoral stem because it's not considered a trauma device. So, you know, unless the FDA clears some stuff, it's going to be hard for us to invent anything along those ways. But it's certainly certainly (laughs) something we would love to need. So if the FDA is listening, you know, be a little bit more lenient. Well, you start talking trauma, doctor. I'm a sucker for biologics. There's so many cool things in that space right now, not only in our world, but spine. And I I saw an exhibit you did about managing osseous defects, and it reminded me of a video on your website regarding a very cool product called PlyaFix Prime. Uh, What's your go-to to fill a defect these days? 
Well, it really depends on the size of defect, but you know, my go-to formula is going to be some combination of bone marrow aspirate. I'm a big fan of Vivigen. It's a cellular allograft by LifeNet Health, same people that make uh, Plyfix Prime, which is a 100% demineralized bone matrix. So that's kind of where I get most of my volume. If I need higher amounts of volume, I'll add Cancellus chips. I've gone away from harvesting using Rhea uh, just because of the other issues that can come with that. But that's kind of my go-to depending on the size of the defect. You brought up bone marrow aspirates. What's a couple procedures that you're going, I'm spinning down some marrow today for this because it makes sense i mean any non-union certainly that i'm working on actually i use a needle bmac needle by a company royal biologics you don't even need to spin it down the way they design the needle that it kind of self-separates as you aspirate from the crest which is nice any kind of fusions also you know hindfoot fusions anything like that where i need to fill a graft but mainly for non-unions that's where i'm using my bmac if the patient's a smoker or a diabetic, would that push you in that direction at all or, or not? not? Not right away off the bat. If they're coming in with a big, massive defect or something like that, that, you know, definitely. But for your acute stuff, if I need graft, I'll probably lean towards Vivigen and Playa, but I won't necessarily immediately go to BMAC. Periprosthetic fractures, doctor, you brought it up. Some work that you did involving working around loose components in the hip and knee. Tips, tricks? How do we avoid pitfalls, sir? Periprosthetic is something that's very near and dear to my heart, probably my favorite case all around the body. But that that's the thing, you know, whenever anything's loose, I think the best thing to do for our patients is to go to a mega prosthesis. You know, get them up, get them walking as soon as possible. You know, DFR, PFR proximal tibia replacement, proximal humerus replacement, distal humerus replacement, whatever you need. I'm not saying we need to jump to it right away, but, you know, something that you should always have in your armamentarium. Obviously, we, you know, we have symposia and all this stuff about this, but if I had to say, you know, the couple tricks about DFR is, number one, you know, make sure your rotation is set with your patella. It might not automatically mean that you have a set rotation around your linea aspera, but you always have to see where your patella is tracking. You know, don't chase your flexion gap, number one. Lastly, you know, the thing we worry about the most with mega prosthesis is infection. So one of the tips I got from my oncology colleagues, Cynthia Emery down at Wake, you know, she told me that she coats all her mega prosthetic junctions that are non-articular with essentially antibiotic cement. So they get local elution for about six weeks. And I started doing that and it certainly has helped, a lot. helped out a lot. All my DFRs are knee immobilizer until sutures come out. Sometimes that's two weeks, sometimes it's four weeks, sometimes it's six because the nice part about DFR is they always get their flexion back no matter what. So you can keep them straight for a while if you need to, but certainly something that I think more traumatologists should be doing. But, you know, I think that uh, the joints guys are more comfortable with it, but it's something that has been extremely helpful in my practice for, for these complex cases. Very cool trick, doctor. I wrote that down, coating those surfaces with antibiotic cement. Going to your stem, do you have an appetite for press fitting these DFR stems? Or are you going to cement that as well every time? It, it really depends. You know, if, if if the patient has a good distal block of metaphysis where you can fit a sleeve in, I'll probably go to a sleeve stem combo. But oftentimes, if it's going too high up, you'll probably just fill in cement. Another thing that I've gone to, especially for those DFRs that are getting really, really short proximal fragments, I've gone to prophylactically fixing the proximal fragment. What I mean by that is maybe putting in a sliding hip screw above the implant to protect the hip above because all you need is one subtroke above a DFR and your entire day is ruined. So there's, I, right. I, you know, that's, that's such a hard case that once I start doing DFRs where the stem's getting up near the lesser, I'm putting something in the head and neck to prevent a second fracture. You think cables would fit that bill, just prophylactically cable it, or is that not going to be enough? No, that won't be enough because you want something shooting up into the neck and the head. That's where I'm going with that. What about locked IM nails as a static spacer in these periprosthetic joint infection cases? We actually have a series that we're, it's under review now. Frank and I, we do a lot of these multiply revised, multiply infected patients and and you know, what we learned from Viktor Frankl, who's the chairman before Dr. Zuckerman at NYU, is that part of the way to clear infection is to get stability. It promotes angiogenesis. It promotes blood flow and tissue healing. So, you know, for these really, really deeply infected, multiple operated on folks, we'll flip a retrograde nail upside down, especially in the knee. We'll kind of perform a temporary knee orthodesis with the antibiotic spacer in between. We'll also inject antibiotic-loaded calcium sulfate up and down the canals. We actually, for the patients also, this is part of the is coming out. We'll use Rhea to kind of saucerize and clean the canals also when we're doing these infection cases. So that is kind of our go-to in these, in these complex, uh, multiply infected, multiply uh, operated on patients. 
after Total Knees. So hopefully that'll come out soon in the literature. Very cool gadget. I saw you touting on one of your videos was using Arthrex fiber tape in these periprosthetics. How do you use that? Fiber tape surclage has been a very important part of my practice, especially for reverse total shoulders for fracture. It helps me get my tuberosity control without having drill holes. And that's kind of been my go-to. But for some of these uh, periprosthetic distal femur fractures, terminal shafts, it's been nice because it helps you help and maintain the fractures with the same strength as any kind of you know cobalt chrome cable but it gives you a broader footprint so you know because it's it's tape and it's flat you can kind of broaden it broaden it to almost two to two and a half three centimeters if needed with the same strength and the nice part about it actually is that it's it's flat and it lies under the plate and doesn't sit up. It's radiolucent. It doesn't show up on x-ray. And for those of us who like stuff to be on x-ray, I'll use a medium clip applier, put a clip on the knot just to remind myself that there's fiber tape there. When you were describing it, it reminded me, uh, and I'm showing my age here, but the old Param Bands that we used to use, kind of a metal zip tie. But it had that same concept, that that wider footprint to hold things together uh, while you do other things. I remember those. I remember, but they, they didn't, because they were flat metal, they didn't have the appropriate hoop stresses. So some of them would, if you didn't tension it appropriately, it would kind of loosen because all cables do that in, in general. So I think that's why that, that didn't really, you know, make it. But this is what I love about ortho. Everything's, you know, everything's about innovation. Well, Dr. Yun, let's switch gears from helping people with a drill and a saw to, as you said earlier, paying it forward. You're connected with an organization that really taps into your teaching gift, the Foundation for Physician Advancement. Tell us a little bit about what that organization does and why listeners should consider sharing it with their young surgeons. Yeah, the, the FPA is really a, a brainchild of, uh, you know, our executive director, Marnie Reed, and the kind of uh, crew that she's brought together over the years. Uh, a lot of us really are dedicated to understanding kind of the business side of medicine. This is the aspect of training that none of us really uh, get taught. This is actually a topic of discussion that for the longest time and still depending on who you talk to is actually frowned upon, right? It's going into medicine. We are all taught to be and hopefully stay altruistic and not care about the money side of things. But you know, in the reality of real life, if you don't understand the little things, you know, contracts, payer mix, definitions of how you get paid, coding, billing, not even including, you know, how to get busy, how to market yourself, how to network, you know, all these things that are really important to kind of growing up in the business uh, is not talked about. So this is something that a group of friends and I, you know, we, we came together and seeing the excitement about it, continued participation uh, from residents, fellows, and even young attendings, it's been a really great experience. And again, Another aspect of something that I was lucky enough to get mentored on by Frank, and we're just expanding it to include a lot of folks who have learned through the years, and we're just trying to pay forward now. And it's been it's been a really popular event, and I think that it's something that's going to continue to grow because while it's seemingly a less of a faux pas to talk about uh, medicine and business, it's something that everyone understands is necessary. And I think that as doctors, we need to know the vernacular in order to not only protect ourselves but sit at the table when it comes to fees and scheduling and coding and billing and reimbursement. So I think that for all of us, it's kind of our duty to to learn more and more about it so we don't get blindsided by any surprises. It was truly an honor and a privilege to, to go to that meeting and see that mentoring taking place with surgeons further along in their career, reaching out to the younger ones about these relatively recent business of medicine dynamics that are not taught about in medical school. Any advice to your contemporaries on these very headwinds facing their practice right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, we all hear horror stories. You know, the later you get into training, into fellowship and even early early practice, we all have friends who have joined the practice and not made partner and missed you know missed the sale of the first you know equ private equity buy. Fifty percent of orthopedic surgeons change jobs after they pass boards in two years. You know, and a lot of that stuff is just from not having knowledge and walking into a bad situation. And that's the thing. The only advice I would say is you know don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to afraid to talk to your colleagues because this is your life now. You know, as you're getting done with training after twenty years of uh, you know, trying to figure out what, what, what to do and get to a certain place, you know, understanding this part of the medicine is, is, is really important because I think that as physicians and especially as subspecialists who do complex things 
a lot of folks who don't do what we do don't understand the value and the complexity that comes with what we do. And if you don't feel valued and you don't understand what your value is, then oftentimes you're going to get walked on. And that's what we're trying to help avoid because I, I certainly don't think that we are plug and play. I think that surgeons and doctors in general uh, have a certain subset and skill and we are not interchangeable. I just want to make sure that all of us are continuing to push that envelope that we offer a very valuable service and we should be valued in the same way. So I think it's something that we, we need to collectively talk more about, learn from each other about. I certainly don't know everything. And every time we have one of these meetings, I, I come home with more knowledge and, and things to improve my practice. So especially, you know, in 2022 and beyond, we need to be at the table and taking control of this, you know? Agreed. Drive. Get that steering wheel back. I, I was very honored to have a chance to interview President of AUKUS, Dr. Brian Springer, and FPA rock star Marnie Reed about their great work in this organization. And as I concluded the interview, I told Dr. Springer about my passion for a rep version of what y'all were doing. Here we are just nine episodes later, and the Society for Medical Representative Advancement is real. It's a thing. And we have our first meeting on the books October 7th and the 8th. Exciting times, doctor. Tell our audience why in the world would surgeons want to help reps? So this is pretty interesting. First and foremost, I have to let you all know how important this is to me because my wife's birthday is the third. My son's birthday is the fifth. So for me signing up for this weekend only leaves one weekend prior to celebrate their birthdays. So I care so much about this. I got approval to do this in Charlotte, which I'm really excited about. So that's how much I care about it. Wow. But, you know, for me, and this is something that I think in the industry, if you've been around long enough, there are grumblings about repless models, going to single vendor systems and all these things. For me, I can't do my job without my rep. My sales rep, no matter who it is and which company, they help make my life easier, right? They're your teammate. They anticipate things that may not necessarily you might not think of, and they have backup plans for you. If you have a great rep, it makes your life less stressful. You, you don't worry about the things they take care of for you. Uh, and if anyone listening has been abroad, done any mission work, it's actually pretty interesting. You know that some of the reps actually are your scrub techs when you're when you're down in Haiti and Dominican Republic. So you know that's right. I think that customer service is undervalued and that's what makes some of our great reps great reps you know one of my favorite reps my depew rep uh, he always tells me all the time he understands this is a marathon and not a sprint how to best service your kind of customer with all the collective goals to get our patients better and that's really why i want to be a part of this enterprise because i think that together as a collective team between you know us our pas our residents our reps and our nurses if everyone's on the same page, that's when we're providing the highest level of care for our patients. And, and, and as you know, and as we know, you know, our patients are someone's mom, someone's dad, someone's brother, someone's sister. This is why we do this. So I think that if we're not getting the reps better, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. So that, that's that's why I'm very lucky and honored to be a part of uh, SMRA. We're honored to have you part of it, sir, especially in light of those birthdays. <laughs> that's uh... That's a big lift right there. I originally came up with the acronym Medical Representative Sales Association. And for the life of me, I don't understand why MRSA would get shut down. As, uh, as, I thought nobody's going to forget it. I'm very thankful for a couple of people who said, well, that's the whole point. They're remembering the wrong thing. Exactly. A-list surgeons and reps coming to Charlotte to help us thrive amidst the business of medicine waves hitting our ship. I feel confident, sir, that this meeting is going to sell out quickly. Where can reps sign up for it? Um, that's that's an easy sign up. It's a website, medrepsociety.com. That's M-E-D-R-E-P, society.com. A lot of info on there and, and, and uh, registration for the meeting. Uh, again, like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone in person. We've had no, this year was the first year in the spring where we started getting back to in-person stuff. So this is going to be really exciting. I am so excited about this meeting, sir. While we've got the reps on the line, any advice you'd like to give them right now on how to run this marathon called device sales? I feel like every distributorship and every company has their OGs, right? The original gangsters and the, the, the men and the women who have been <laughs> around the game for a long time, right? When you start hearing names like Richards and Osteonics and Helmetica and EBI and SBI, right? 
right? These, these folks have been around a long time. You know, for all the young folks out there, really lean on them and their experience, right? They, they know, and there's a lot of stuff we'll talk about down in Charlotte, but, you know, they really know how to stay in the game for a long time and be successful. And they, they also know how to not only work the political atmosphere, but how to really provide superb care that takes care of our patients. And oftentimes that might not necessarily mean promoting an implant that you're selling, right? And that, that's something that a lot of my favorite reps do. You know, if they, if they don't have something that's in the room, they know another company has it. They're getting it for me just so, you know, we, we know we can take care of the patient in the right way. So a lot of stuff we can talk about down in Charlotte, but that's, that's one of the things. If you're a young rep out there listening to this, and you want to be a part of this game, this awesome, this awesome profession for, for a really long time, you know, really latch yourself on to that senior partner, that senior person that brought you in and, and take down all the little pearls, right? Write down everything they do. All the little things matter. You know, it's not just about opening boxes right now. Y'all really inspired me with the foundation for physician advancement of, of just doing that same model, bringing people together in a vendor agnostic way and sharing information, being mentored by surgeons, by by other reps that have been doing this uh, longer than us. Oh, geez, I love that, doctor. It just really gave me and a lot of other people the vision for how this meeting is going to go forth. Very excited. Speaking of marathons, Dr. Yoon, you completed the Nashville Rock and Roll Marathon. What an accomplishment, sir. I've got a 0.0 sticker on the back of my truck. Uh, just curious, was it harder physically or mentally to cross that finish line? Definitely physically, but I, I need to put a disclaimer in here. It's probably my only and last marathon. The only, <laughs> I, the only way I'll run another one is if my wife ends up wanting to run New York. I said I'd run it with her. I ran that because it's one of the, one of the marathons my wife always wanted to run and she, that was her sixth one. When I was crossing the finish line in Nashville, I took so long to finish they were already taking down the finish line. Like they were on ladders taking the banner down. So <laughs> I, I don't want any, I'm, there's, there's gotta be no misconceptions. This was something that I wanted to uh, finished, but barely is probably the better word to say. Well, in my book, doctor, if you were crawling across the finish line at midnight and nobody was even there still, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big accomplishment. So speed, power, timing. We're not running anymore, sir. We're talking swordsmanship. I could not talk to you without asking about something I know is near and dear to your part. Kumdo, of which you are a black belt. Tell us a little bit about this noble Korean martial art. Essentially, you know, Korean sword fighting. When I was growing up, I actually did uh, Hapkido as well. When you're like five years old and you're going through and get your black belt by the time you're like 10 or 11, I don't know how much I really learned, you know, uh, hand to hand wise. But uh, as I was getting into middle school and high school, I wanted to continue. So uh, I started started Korean sword fighting. A lot of it is about mental and mind state patience and uh, kind of moving through your katas and your, your routines with patience and kind of calculated power um and that's something i really liked you know when you we were when you for your black belt test you have to uh complete a uh, a subspecialty so to speak so my my subspecialty was two short blades probably like uh two swords that were probably about a foot long uh in both hands so that was pretty cool uh but just something that mentally just kept me kind of uh in line uh, for most of my time when I was a teenager. So something that uh, I don't know how useful it is now. You know, if I'm in a bar, I probably have to pick up a pool stick or something if I got to do something. But for me, it was, it was mainly about helping to obtain and maintain a meditative kind of patient state as much as possible, which it's kind of funny how it's come from a full circle now. I rely on a lot of the breathing techniques and meditations now because certainly being an orthopedic surgeon is, is one of the most stressful jobs in the world. So uh, it's helped me uh, come full circle in that regard. I enjoyed watching some demo videos uh, of them going after some bamboo. Just please promise me, if you ever have to do a video demonstration of this, just can you bring it full circle and use sawbones? <laughs> that's a great idea, 100%. <laughs> I would pay to see that's, that. <laughs> that's hysterical. Is it a two-edged blade? No, no, it's a it's a single-edged uh, katana. So like uh, basically like a, a lot of the 
the ninja swords you see out there. It was amazing how many times they could cut something before it hit the ground. It's pretty slick. <laughs> well, Dr. Yoon, I'm glad I'm interviewing you now, as I feel like in 20 years you'll be giving my printer a workout printing your CV. A lot of accomplishments under your belt so far. What's next? Just keep plugging, right? Right now, a lot of my, just like I said before, my, my job in my, my life is to uh, lead by example and work hard. My priorities now are a little bit different. I still love what I do. I love teaching research, but having uh, a happy marriage and being a good dad and husband is probably at the top of the list. So that's probably number one. And, you know, what's next is whatever comes. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be around a lot of talented people, both at my place and around the country and societies, doctors and otherwise. Excited to meet new folks like yourself. And listen, if, if we're not con- trying to continue to evolve and get better, then I don't know what we're doing. So I don't know what the future holds for me, but it seems like the formula I've had worked out pretty well. So, you know, I'm just going to keep plugging and just trying to get better. Let's see what happens. Great work, sir. I appreciate that. I really appreciate it. Um, but again, it's not only me. It's, it's a lot of people behind on those, on those publications and on those podiums. So certainly could not have done it my, on my own. Well, well said, Dr. Yoon. It's been such an honor to talk to you today and to have you as part of the SMRA story. Look forward to seeing you in October, sir. 100%, Kevin. And for those of you on MedRep, M-E-D-R-E-P, society.com, uh, look forward to seeing everyone in Charlotte in October. And we look forward to seeing you, Dr. Yoon. I want us all to just ponder that for a second. You do this job a while, and you will discover just how hard it is to get a surgeon to leave town for a meeting, right? They've got a lot of things going on in their lives, priorities like a happy marriage, like being a good dad. I know it's hard to believe, but most of it does not revolve around you and me. On that note, can we just take a second to ponder one more thing? The gravity of this A-list faculty of surgeons and reps leaving their homes in October to go to a meeting centered around helping you and me. I'm attaching the MedRepSociety.com link in the show notes. Sign up now and you will receive a discounted hotel rate at the Westin. Dr. Yoon so eloquently said, if we're not trying to evolve and get better, then I don't know what we're doing. Indeed, I wrote that down. We all need a guitar lesson. See how I brought this all full circle? In these perilous times for commission-based reps, I don't know about you, but I do not want to be on de facto salary. No ceiling, no way. So grab your Les Paul. I'll have my Zion RT Classic tuned up and plugged in. And let's come ready to hear from people passionate about helping us construct a workaround. I hope you all have an amazing week, and I look forward to riding along with you in Charlotte.